0: My role right now is to literally model what it looks like to be unabashedly yourself and just use your voice in the right way. The more I try to reconstruct myself into something that I believe the world wants me to be versus being who the world needs me to be, the more trouble it is.
1: Call them changemakers. Call them rule
2: breakers. We call them redefiners. Join us in conversation with daring leaders who are creating extraordinary impact and driving change from around the globe. Each episode gives you a fresh perspective on your leadership and career journey. I'm Hoda Tahun, a leadership advisor at Russell Reynolds. I'm Clark Murphy, the former chief executive officer and a leadership advisor. And this is Redefiner's.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Redefiner's. We really hope you had a wonderful holiday season and an amazing start to the new year. After an always busy end of year, it's really important to rest and recharge. Clark, what did you do to get some rest and relaxation during your holiday?
2: Well, I ate too much. I drank too much. Uh, but fortunately, <laughs> I um, <laughs> I slept and then got on the ski slopes and worked it all off. So, So I'm ready to go.
1: Clark, what is your favorite holiday food?
2: Stuffing at Thanksgiving, actually, oh, so good, right? Absolutely. Now,
1: do you make your own?
2: I'm from scratch, and I grew up in the Chesapeake Bay, so it has roasted oysters in it as well. What? So this is absolutely no no fooling around.
1: I don't think I've ever heard of roasted oysters. Oh my god, that sounds yeah, yeah, delicious! Yeah.
2: So you get stuffed on stuffing is pretty much the goal. Love it. What about you, Hoda? Did you hit the tennis court? You were in the warm weather, I assume. What What did you do? I actually
1: played tennis while I was in Dubai and I went back to Egypt for the first time in about six years. Wow. And uh, got to spend some time with relatives and uh, got to be a tourist. I went down to the south with the ancient temples. It was pretty amazing to be down there.
2: That's pretty intense. That's making my ski trip feel a little empty. Okay, (laughs) fine. We have uh, first first episode. It's one point for Hoda, zero for Clark. Okay, got it.
1: Come on, we always have to have a little bit of a healthy competition with where we take vacations, yeah, I was right? Say yeah.
2: you've, pr- you've proven that point—that's for sure. Okay, well, listen. Today's episode kicks off season four of Redefiners. I can't believe we've been doing this podcast for three seasons already. It's kind of amazing, and been a very fun ride. A lot to learn, a lot to do. We have another fantastic lineup of guests view this season. We'll cover topics like performance and culture. Insights into C-suite and boards, sustainability, tech innovation, and of course, some amazing leadership lessons for all of us from great redefining leaders. Clark,
1: I am so, so excited for this season. It's going to be a great one. I just know it. So should we dive in?
2: Dive, dive, dive. Let's go.
1: (laughs) I'm really looking forward to today's episode as we're going to talk with someone who is leading one of the world's truly iconic brands this leader is clearly at the top of her game when it comes to redefining her company and her industry. She continues to break through barriers and make history as she's done throughout her career. Clark, do you think this person's going to give us some secrets and some stories on the athletes that they work with?
2: Well, we want some of the secret sauce. There's no question about it. uh, (laughs) As we work with CEOs and board members, I want to find out how she manages all these athletes and Keeps them moving forward and, and smiling. I've always found the entertainment business and the sports business unique because you've got to run a business, but you've got all the personalities. So,
1: oh yeah, we need
2: we need secret sauce. There's no question. <laughs> Without further ado, our guest today is Sarah Mensa, who's the first female president of the Jordan brand. Sarah joined Nike in 2013 and has held several leadership roles, including vice president of Jordan Brand's Latin America and Asia Pacific regions along with another first. She was the first black woman to lead Nike's North American business as general manager, their largest market by far. Prior to joining Nike, she was chief operating officer of the Portland Trailblazers from '09 to 2012, where she was responsible for increasing revenue by over 100% and season ticket sales by 120%. My goodness, she should join Russell Reynolds Associates. Sarah, (laughs) welcome to Redefiner's. Thank you
0: so much. It's great to be here.
1: Sarah, we're so excited to speak with you and I wanna dive right in. So you are an executive with the Portland Trailblazers, an executive at Jordan Brand and at Nike, and now you're the president of Jordan Brands. There seems to be a common sports theme here going on in your career. Were you
0: into sports as a kid? Tell us a little bit about that. You know, it's so funny, Hoda, you asked that and many people ask it to me. I was, but for all my basketball focus at the moment, I was not a basketball player. Really? I ran track. (laughs) Okay. Track was my mojo, 100, 400, Mm -hmm. 200, sprinting. So not a basketball theme. It doesn't, it doesn't translate wonderfully, but track was my game.
1: And as you think about your previous role as VP and GM of Nike North America, you helped lead a decade of growth. Tell us about your career journey.
0: The career journey has not been linear. So I love to say, (laughs) I (laughs) I wish I could say that I knew as a young girl growing up here in Beaverton, Oregon, that I would one day run this incredibly beautiful brand. But truly, the journey is a really interesting one with lots of twists and turns. Like any young woman growing up in the 80s and 90s, of course, this was all pre Title IX when I was growing up. Mm. We did not have the opportunity to be celebrated and to be recognized for our great participation in sport. And so, though I loved sport and though I really wanted to run track and be celebrated for running track. I was part of that generation of young women that participated and had very few people, you know, in the stands Mm. cheering. And so because of that, I think the idea that a young woman particularly would set her sights on running a professional sports organization, it just doesn't translate. So instead, I went to University of Oregon. I wanted to be a journalism major. I wanted to go after big corporations that were doing bad things and get the story. And Mm. University of Oregon, of course, being an amazing organization for journalism, I just had that vision for me. And again, part of that was because I was seeing other women in that role. And so, you know, they say see it to be it. That was something that seemed really exciting to me. Started my career in journalism, working at a local broadcasting NBC affiliate quickly translated into business, recognized that I actually had a lot of curiosity around what was the underpinning of journalism? What's the business behind it? Mm. What was the driving force behind why we decided to lead with whatever stories we decided to lead? And that led me to pursue a career in sales. Mm -hmm. Again, had some incredible people show up along the line saying, Sarah, if you do anything, You need to get some good baseline business skills, did sales for broadcasting and radio for a few years. And that's when the Portland Trailblazers actually called on the recommendation of some of my great customers that I was serving as a broadcast sales executive. And the Blazers were, of course, expanding their operation. They had a new arena. They they developed some new rights agreements that allowed them to sell their own television and radio rights. And they were poking around for for executives. And that's how that whole chapter started. It was literally them calling me and saying, wow, that's great. I knew nothing about sports, knew nothing about the sports industry. But I knew (laughs) at that point I had like a kind of a baseline kind of curiosity and confidence that said, even if I didn't know about something, I could work really hard and hopefully figure it out. And so ended up spending 19 years at the trailblazers. And at the end of that assignment, I was actually running the team. So that's the story there.
1: Tell us about what it was like to be a woman in that type of role, running a team in an industry and certainly in a sport where that
0: wasn't the case. I mean, it, it, there's a book in there somewhere. Yeah. Hoda. <laughs> <laughs> There's gotta be. There's, There's gotta a book be in there. There are many experiences and there are frustrations, mm-hmm. there are elations uh, that are tied to that. But I would I, I guess I would just say, you know, I approached that whole experience from a place of curiosity. Mm. I was very aware that most of what I was doing, that I I might have been a first in that space. And instead of really letting that keep me down, I had to kind of have that trailblazing experience and a trailblazing spirit of like, let's see what that feels like. Let's see what it feels like to sit in the locker room and be the one that takes the team through what our new marketing campaign is going to be. And let's be the first person to field all those questions. And even if you're teased, and even if it's uncomfortable, and even if, you know, People think it's weird that you're in that space. Like (laughs) someone's got to do it first, Do you get teased in that type of environment? I thought that stopped in high school. (laughs) (laughs) Well, some of our players, depending on who they were at that time, were were high school age. So yeah, that that did happen.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That did happen. Was there a defining or as we call it, a redefining moment when you moved past this kind of curious young woman to then becoming a general manager of an NBA team? Yeah,
0: I think that there were several redefining moments. And the way I like to think about it is one of the moments was a very personal moment. And one of the moments was more of a business-oriented brand kind of story moments. And so the personal moment happened shortly after I had given birth to my son, Davis. And anyone who works in professional sports know that it's very unglamorous. I love to tell people, you know, 45 home games, if you're making the playoffs, that's 55 nights out of the year that you're usually starting your day at around 7 a.m. and ending your day around 11.30 p.m. And so on this particular day, I was doing my normal pattern, which was to leave the office, madly make my way home so that I could nurse my son and then come back to the office so that I could entertain clients and attend the game. And I was rushing out of a meeting so that I could do that. And one of my colleagues uh, said to me, hey, when are you ever going to figure out which of your jobs is most important and do that one full time? Woo, wowza, wowza. <laughs> Hope you had a basketball nearby. <laughs> <laughs> he said it in that joking, teasing kind of way. As I was going home, kind of humiliated, mm. uh, a spirit rose up in, inside of me. And I decided right then and there that I was going to entitle myself. Mm -hmm. And I used that word very specifically. Mm -hmm. I was going to entitle myself the right to work as hard as I was working Mm. and to hustle as hard as I was working and to be unabashedly a mom that was going home to nurse her child so that she could come back to the game and work until 11. And so I just owned it. I just decided that I was going to own it. And I would do things on purpose at that time. like would put a sign on my door that said, mm. pumping in process, Wow! enter at your own risk. <laughs> <laughs> and I found that in, in taking that stance and really kind of standing up for myself and, and doing it in a fun, playful way yeah. with my male colleagues, everyone ended up getting the message and it actually worked. And I, I was happy to see that other women in the office took a cue and I think were kind of enabled as a result of my having made that declaration that it was just going to be okay. And we ended up getting a lactation room after that. You know, commonplace, I think, groundbreaking at the time.
2: Groundbreaking at the time. Yeah, right. And professionally speaking?
0: So professionally speaking, it's more about using my voice. I think uh, so many of us, whether we're male or female, have been in that meeting. And there's the thing that needs to be said, and nobody's saying it. And in this case, the Trailblazers had sort of lost our way and we were, uh, you know, our players were actually acting out in the community to some degree. Some of our management had actually been called out for behavior that wasn't appropriate. And in this case, our general manager had come under fire. So one of the fans had held up a sign that said, Hey, trade that general manager. And uh, somebody made a decision to kick that person out, kick that fan. That was actually a really great, like a super fan. Mm. Wow! And so unfortunately we kicked this person out and sort of violated their sense of their own first amendment rights to complain about our general manager. Thank God this was before social media was what it is today, but there was beginning to be kind of a, a, a burgeoning hue and cry in the community against the team. Mm. You know, what are you, what are you guys doing? You know? And the, the meeting that just kept happening was like, uh, you know, what are we going to do about this? And no one to take accountability. Clearly the right route here is to say, you're sorry, we made a mistake. Shouldn't have done that. We were not in a place where we were ready to do that. And so I, re- I found myself in the back of the room really frustrated and said pretty loudly, like, hey, if this is about needing somebody to take accountability for this, I volunteer. Wow. Uh, I'll say I'm the one that made that decision to kick this person out. And then we can actually say we're sorry. We could decide what we want to do, but we, we need to move off of this. And it was like one of those moments where it just kind of came out of me. Mm. And it was at it was that point in like the way that one person can hopefully tip an entire conversation over. We tipped into humility. Mm. We tipped into the ability to sort of call a thing a thing we tipped into the ability to actually apologize for our mistake and begin to like move the brand in the right direction. And it just took somebody having the humility and the courage to sort of stand in the fire so that you can move through it. And so that became a defining moment for me in recognizing that most pain that happens in business and in the boardroom happens because you're trying to avoid the reality. Like the quicker you can get into naming a thing and calling a thing, a thing, the better it is. And you know what? I hate to be biased here, but a lot of times it's the women who are (laughs) sitting back and saying that clarity around what could really be done. Not to say that I don't have my brilliant men friends that are often with me as well, but this is why I'm such a proponent for diversity in rooms, because Mm -hmm. there's always that person that's going to have that perspective of saying that thing that's like, wow, there it is.
1: It sounds like that was a huge paradigm shift in that moment. And if we go back to the birth of Air Jordan, that was also a paradigm shift. I think neither Nike nor Michael Jordan were really household names at the time. And so this was, you know, quite a big risk if you think about it from both sides. But that deal, that groundbreaking deal and partnership back in 1984, revolutionized sports. Tell us a little bit about risk-taking and innovation, is that still part
0: of the DNA? It is absolutely central to the brand growth. We think of the Jordan brand now as a cultural catalyst. It really is living at that intersection between the culture of the game and the actual experience of the game. I think Nike was always known for athletes. When you walk around world headquarters, you'll often turn a corner and there'll be a big quote that's written on a wall that says, listen to the voice of the athlete. Mm. I think it's really important like in the case of the MJ story what was really happening there is Nike was actually staying true to its values which have always been about listening to the voice of the athlete first respecting that voice and and giving an athlete in this case MJ an opportunity to authentically express mm-hmm. who they are. And it's really important it's not it's not necessarily our value, but mm. our value is that we deeply respect and want to provide a platform for an athlete to uniquely express. And I feel like through the platform of basketball and through the platform of just the extraordinary individual and human being that Michael Jordan is, we landed on lightning in a bottle. Yeah. That he would be such an incredible example. Inspiration for humans, literally everywhere, mm-hmm. on what's possible when you just truly connect into your authentic expression of excellence. It's 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 mind blowing.
1: I'm very tempted now because you've opened up the idea of quotes on the walls of you know global headquarters, and one of my favorite and most famous quotes from MJ is. And I quote, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life. And that is why I succeed, end quote. Are there any commitments or quotes that you think about for
0: yourself that inspire you as a leader? Yeah, I mean, that's one of them. And that's one of them that's (laughs) on the wall. And if you think about that, Behind that statement, can you hear the confidence in it? Oh, Because at the end of the day, (laughs) this is the thing that's so incredible about Michael Jordan is that it's the audacity to continue to believe in yourself. It's the audacity to continue to keep trying. Mm -hmm. It is the courage to believe that when you keep taking shots, that eventually that's going to go in. And I think that's why MJ and this brand has resonated so far. I mean, my goodness, we had a collaboration with Jay Balvin and we were all exchanging emails and texts over the weekend on how like within Latino culture, the brand is resonating. And that's true in Tokyo. It's true in Seoul. It's true in Shanghai. It's true in London. So there is something really special that is happening for people across the world with this brand, even today. And I think it's because of that. Who doesn't relate to the idea of trying? And not just trying, just staying on something. And so that quote is one of them for me.
2: We'll be right back with Sarah Mensa, but first we'll hear from Hetty Pye, a managing director in our London office, who'll discuss the gender imbalance in today's C-suites and the steps organizations can take to close the gap.
3: We have all known for a long time that diverse leadership teams are more resilient, innovative, and drive better, sustainable financial performance. So why do women still only account for 28% of top executives across the S&P 100 and their equivalents? It is certainly not a capability issue. In fact, when we measured a number of key leadership competencies, we found there was no empirical difference between men and women leaders' relative effectiveness when reviewed by their direct reports. Less two competencies where women came out stronger than their male counterparts, These were in coaching and people development and driving innovation. The message is, as always, so clear. By not boosting C-suite diversity, organizations are missing out on huge opportunities. But how do you go about closing the gap? We have identified five key focus areas to help organizations develop a pipeline of women leaders. One, assess for potential, not experience. Two, automatically include suitable women candidates when succession planning. Make it an opt-out, not an opt-in process. Three, supercharge development for emerging leaders. And four, educate leaders on how to coach the next generation. Then five, help your top performers understand you are willing to invest in their long-term development. To learn more about how you can close the gender diversity gap, and in turn, set up your organization for success, click on the link to this article in the show notes.
2: Now back to our conversation with Sarah. Sarah, we talk about taking shots and Jordan is a brand of taking risk. And I was around when this started. Hoda was probably not even born yet, but Michael Jordan and his ethics and integrity is just an amazing person. But you didn't know that in the beginning. How do you look at taking risk with emerging athletes or athletes you don't know? How does one look at that from a business perspective? Well, I think everything is a risk.
0: You know, it's it's interesting to think about back to the idea of listening to the voice of the athlete. And as now we are seeing the definition of athlete is expanding. So we're expanding the tent to include women athletes, athletes into sports that weren't historically thought of as sports. All of those could be considered risks. I think there are less risks when you spend the time to ensure that you're aligning yourself with athletes that have similar brand values. And in this case, from an MJ standpoint, the types of people who really want to break boundaries, those that want to be at the top of their game, those that are willing to work harder, people who are willing to outwork the competition, maybe people who could have been cut from their JV basketball team and, and respond to that in a way that says... I'm not going to accept that. I'm going to I'm going to go back. I'm going to work harder at that. So I think as long as we're rooted in our values around the types of athletes that we are bringing into the Jordan family and we do talk about it as a Jordan family, less and less risk associated with that. And does that mean that people don't make bad decisions or that people are human beings? That's part of the beauty of the sports business is that it's it's about the agony and the ecstasy, right? Of of all of that in front of us. But I think that doesn't preclude us from making sure that as we are looking at bringing athletes into the family, that they really reflect those similar kind of values that MJ embodies
2: as well. And speaking of MJ, renowned to be enormously competitive in every aspect of his life, not just on the court. What's it like to work with him and to have someone who's so focused on winning, so focused on the details? As I understand it, drive, drive, drive every day. What's that like? And what do people learn who want to work with super competitive driven people? First and foremost,
0: we get to be inspired by MJ every day. And we are seeking to create a culture within the Jordan brand that also invites people that are similarly yoked, meaning (laughs) similar types of personalities. Like everybody wants this brand to grow. Everybody feels a huge sense of responsibility to make sure that it grows in a way that's reflective of MJ's vision. And so I'd say he's tremendously inspiring to us. The idea that our logo lives and breathes and walks around, isn't able to see our work (laughs) and sometimes likes it, sometimes doesn't. I find it tremendously inspiring. And I believe most of the people who are working in the brand find that as well. It's so fascinating, Sarah. If we take a
1: bit of a different direction and we think about sports not only being a big business, but it's also become such a big, big part of our society today with pro athletes having a huge influence on culture, especially youth and businesses responding to social issues. For example, after the murder of George Floyd in 2020, I know that Jordan Brand announced a donation of $100 million over the next 10 years to organizations that promote racial equality, social justice and also greater access to education. Can you tell us a little bit about Jordan Brand's Black community commitment and how social issues factor into the culture?
0: We've been just so clear on this point that until the ingrained racism that allows this country's institution to continue to fail, Mm -hmm. until that's completely eradicated, this brand is going to stay completely committed to protecting and improving the lives of Black people. That's something that we've we've used that moment as a, as a chance to be super declarative about this particular space and how we really want to roll in it. And that's led us to be really deliberate in thinking about where we want to give and how we want to be specific from a giving platform. I also feel like we just have a unique role to play in inspiring communities across the world about what's possible and about what accountability looks like Mm. and what narrative change looks like in this area of Black and basketball culture specifically. We have such an important leadership role to play in helping drive a new narrative around these communities. So- super excited about how we're using what was an extraordinarily painful and even as I'm talking about it yeah. I think about that moment as I'm talking to a lot of the folks that work in the brand that was a really pivotal moment for us and I I'm, I'm so proud of the way that the brand took it and it was super specific on what we're going to do in a giving but also how we're going to use that moment as a way to sort of intensify the role that the brand has to play in the culture in general it's absolutely
2: incredible yeah I love this idea of aspiration and accountability. Are you deliberate in other parts of the world or it's caught on in other parts of the world?
0: We have a very specific giving platform in China and also in Europe. Obviously, those areas didn't necessarily feel George Floyd in the exact same way, but they have their own George Floyd issues. And so what's wonderful to see is the elasticity of this brand and how it can extend to other parts of the world. And how that can lead to very specific programs in this same space that resonate with consumers in those communities
2: as well. Fantastic. Powerful. We were teasing you before about managing and working with large personalities. We do that in our business, in the executive search business. Um, <laughs> we don't want to say that too loud. <laughs> You're trying to create a business that goes forward and we have inspiration and aspiration and accountability. We also have revenues and profits. We've got to keep programs going. You know, every human, particularly a competitive athlete, is unique. How do you, yourself, as a leader, think about working with people as strongly competitive as they might be?
0: I think it starts with just recognizing that somebody has achieved some level of stature as an athlete. They're still just a human. And I think that's one of the beauties of the way Jordan and Nike has approached working with athletes. Appeal to, relate to and care about the human being first. That means we need to unabashedly be on the side of the athlete. I mean, that goes back to our founder, Bill Bowerman, who was just absolutely passionate about doing everything that he could in his power to make athletes better. You know, I'm not going to name names, but other (laughs) companies may come at athletes like, hey, let's use this athlete to endorse our product for this. From a Nike standpoint, it's different. When we get into the relationship with an athlete, it's about what can we do to actually enrich this this athlete's experience, body, mind and spirit. And sure there's endorsement that goes along with that. But really at the at the at the crux of it, what we're about is being in it with that athlete. And you can really feel that, right? You can feel that every time there's an Olympics and when a Nike's athletes is triumphing in some of our innovation
1: So it sounds like putting the athlete at the center of the entire journey so that the individual, the athlete, can have full expression. As we think about the other side of the equation and the consumer, the consumer is able to go direct and indirect retail stores. And certainly the e-commerce platform has transformed over the last decade and continues to transform. And many people, I think, for some time were thinking that there was going to be a death knell for brick and mortar. And certainly that's not the case. We still need the physical in-store experience and the full expression of what the brand is. Retail has not only survived, it continues to grow and is evolving, of course, not just in the sports space, but in other industries as well. Sarah, talk to us about how retail and emerging technology are enabling further connections for Jordan brand consumers.
0: Yeah, I mean, this innovation and this acceleration in in the digital space isn't going to go away. Tech's going to be integral to our future. It's going to be integral to the future of how we design products. It's going to be integral to the future of how consumers access product. It's going to be integral to everything in the future of the Jordan brand. It's It's not going away. And at the center of that is this relationship that we seek to have with the consumer, that's a lifelong relationship. And that requires us to make sure that we are in that consumer's top of mind, in their path, inspiring them and actually making that consumer better. In fact, we we talk about the consumer, we, we call the consumer an athlete mm. because we believe that if you have a body, you are an athlete. Yep. So we talk about all consumers as being an athlete and we talk about wanting to make sure that wherever they are, We're in their path. And tech and digital is just another way of us being able to do that and have that lifelong relationship and that lifelong conversation. So whether it's in a store, they should be able to feel us and they should be able to feel supported by us and by the brand. If If you're accessing us digitally or through social channels, it should feel the same. And at the end of the day, our consumers should feel the same way the athlete does, should feel the Jordan brand is on their side and reflective of them understanding of them so i mean
1: i'll tell you i'm an amateur tennis player but i have you know jordans and i actually feel like an athlete when i'm on the tennis court there you go yeah you so go. it's it's working there you go yeah
0: it's
2: awesome yeah as you think about consumer support consumers are desiring and wanting sustainable products and circularity in your industry how do you all look at that at jordan and what's that level of support as well
0: it's part of the beauty of being a part of this big, incredible corporation. We talk about it like, hey, no planet, no sport. Mm-hmm. And so we believe we have a very important role to play within the sustainability space. And Jordan is got the unique role of being part of this overall Nike family where sustainability has been identified as like one of our most important purpose. Agenda. And I'm just so proud of the work that the teams are doing in that space. I just feel like the future is so bright and there is still so much opportunity for us to lead in this zone.
2: Speaking of leading, you have led as a woman, as a black executive, you've plowed new ground, your competitive edge, your athleticism in the corporate room. How do you look at helping others and being the first at so many things? How does it affect how you lead? And how you develop the next generation, either at Jordan or outside Jordan?
0: It's a balance. And the older I get, the more I recognize the importance of that balance. Uh, You could get into your head too much around what it's like to be first. Um, And then you're thinking, you're overthinking every move and you're overthinking, like, how should I say this or how should I speak to this person or I'm going into this board conversation. I, I think it's important to use that redefining moment that you talked about, which is you need to be unabashedly yourself in each situation. And as I've gotten older, I've sort of developed even more humility to recognize that my role right now is to literally model what it looks like to be unabashedly yourself and to just use your voice in the right way. The more I try to, you know, reconstruct myself into something that I believe the world wants me to be versus being who the world needs me to be, uh, the, the, the more trouble it is. And so I think right now I'm just thinking about like, how can I just use myself and model that for other women who may look or have more sim- similar experiences to me, might have similar aspiration for me. I'm just grateful uh, to be in the position to be able to test it out and we'll see how it goes
2: authenticity goes a long way. We agree.
0: Love that. So
1: Sarah, we love to end each podcast with some rapid fire questions. This is where we'll ask you a series of questions. Don't overthink as we were just talking about and just respond as quickly as possible. Are you ready? Ready. Let's
0: do it.
2: (laughs) All right. If you could be a pro athlete in any sport, which sport would it be and
0: why? Definitely track because I love to run and I'd love to be the fastest at something.
2: What trait most defines who you are? Courage. Love that. Have you ever asked an athlete for their autograph? And if yes, who was it? No. (laughs) Big rule. (laughs) Big rule. No autographs. Who is your inspiration and why?
0: My father is my inspiration because of how he supported me in the latter part of his life, sacrificed his career in order for my career and the life of my son to be continued.
1: What a blessing. If you could have an extra hour of free time, you probably want more than an extra hour, but let's say it's an extra hour of free
0: time every day. How would you use it? It would be a combination of walking and reading. Mm. I now love to use, listen to podcasts like this one and to read books while walking my dog, Valentino. So it'd probably be used in that way.
2: Very well, Love it. by the way. Well, listen, Sarah, we thank you for being here with us today, for sharing your learnings, and also shaping who you wanted to be and how you got there. This ongoing theme of confidence and curiosity defines who you are. And when you talked about your redefining moments, both were about owning it, bottom line. You're going to own being a mother and being who you want to be, but owning the mistakes to say as a corporate executive, let's talk about what's not being said in the room and go to owning it. But we also talked about this broader thing about the brand of Jordan. Listening to the voice of the athlete as Michael Jordan did, authentically expressing his voice and how that shaped the brand to have the audacity to go find courage to keep taking the shots. And that is a brand you all keep taking the shots. And you're trying to find those who take shots with the similar values as, as Jordan. So break the boundaries, outwork the competition, work harder, but don't forget people are human. And as you talk about working with Michael Jordan, personally, the human, that you know you invite those in as yoked as he is in terms of their competitive spirit, in terms of their outlook. But recognize when we have big brands or big people or big personalities, there's a responsibility as well as an inspiration. And so to align with excellence around authenticity and marketing and products, but communities as well, which leads us into the communities after George Floyd. And your communities are global. You're committed to eradicating racism around the world for aspiration, but equally for accountability. And for yourself, you have, whether you like it or not, you've been first again and again, but you've learned to not overthink it. I love this, that humility and using a redefining moment that as a role model for others, just being yourself, being natural, modeling who you are, the way you are, not modeling that someone wants your expectations of being the first woman or the first black woman at something. It's Sarah. And so Sarah is the first at something because she's Sarah. So as we take away this concept of curiosity and confidence, be yourself and be that outperforming person. Well, Sarah, thanks for being yourself with us. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. Thank you,
0: Clark, Hoda. So great. Wonderful
1: having you. Oh my God, what a great conversation. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Redefiner's. For more compelling insights from leaders across industries and around the world, Listen to Redefiner's wherever you get your podcasts.
2: And to learn more or to get in contact with us, visit our website at russellreynolds.com, find us on LinkedIn, and follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter, at RRA on Leadership.